In episode 21 of the Well-Led Schools podcast, I'll be chatting with you about the signs of burnout, common causes of teacher and staff burnout, my approach to addressing burnout in schools, and plenty of ways leaders can help support burnout teachers and staff. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff well-being, school culture, and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks, and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and well-being consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff wellbeing action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Well-Led Schools podcast. Today, I'm coming to you from rainy Perth. I'm here to visit two of my long-term schools out east, so going inland to see the staff at Meriden College and Beverly District High School, so super excited for that. In today's solo episode, I'll be chatting with you about burnout, something that our school leaders, teachers and staff may be all too familiar with. Now, burnout is a growing problem in schools and, in fact, workplaces worldwide, Traditionally, burnout has been defined as a state of emotional and physical exhaustion caused by prolonged feelings of stress and frustration. Yep, I know that one. I have experienced that a couple of times in my life and career. However, what's really interesting is that more recently, the World Health Organization has characterized burnout as a very interesting definition, and that is a syndrome resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed, really labeling it as an occupational phenomenon. Now, this description is really important in my eyes as it emphasizes the responsibility really that the workplace has to identify and address common workplace stresses for their staff, as well as to support and encourage their staff to effectively manage their health and well-being, particularly in a highly stressful profession like teaching. Now, do they have to be the savior for all? No, of course, you know me, there is always a joint responsibility to to addressing this. But in terms of what we can do in the workplace, actually asking our staff about which factors are influencing their feelings of burnout can help bring more awareness to the acute needs of the people within each school setting. And this, I think, well, I know, can really help to guide future decision-making or actions as a leadership team, as a whole school, and as a staff. Now, someone experiencing burnout, if you're one of these people, I feel you, may feel as though they can never truly catch up with all of their to-dos in life or at work and all of those incessant demands. And as a result, they might end up feeling exhausted every day, only trying to power through more tasks just to keep up with everything. 
Burnout really does occur when we're overwhelmed, overworked, emotionally drained, and we don't have the proper time to rest and recover. I've given a huge intro today, but in today's episode, we'll be covering what burnout actually looks at, looks like, what causes teacher and staff burnout, and how we as leaders and a whole school can support burnt out staff with a whole school approach. So let's get right into it. This episode is brought to you by our signature Well-Led Schools Partnerships a 12-month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle-moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the waitlist at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. We're going to kick off with first talking a little bit about what burnout actually looks like. In my experience when working with staff, there's always a group of teachers, staff and leaders who don't actually always recognize that they are burnt out. And it's when I survey them and they tick that they're experiencing multiple symptoms of burnout, but still don't flag that they feel burnt out indicates to me that they either haven't recognized it yet, that they're at risk and that might be coming, or it could also indicate for some staff that they're aware that it's there, but they don't actually ever let themselves tip into that state of burnout. Now, burnout doesn't just happen overnight. It really is an accumulation of stress over time that when unaddressed in some cases can really compound and break us down. Once we've reached the point of burnout, we really don't have nearly enough energy to show up to work and feel engaged, let alone to perform at our best. Most who actually show up for work while feeling burnout might only be hanging on by a thread. So some common signs of burnout might include ongoing fatigue, feelings of anxiety and or depression a short temper, gosh, that was me at one stage, (laughs) disengagement from life and work, difficulty concentrating and poor memory or even forgetfulness, lower performance at work, maybe even some negative attitudes toward work or colleagues. And it might also lead to increased absenteeism if we think we just can't handle a work day. Burnout can also show up as physical symptoms. This is actually quite common for me when I was experiencing it. Things like gastrointestinal disturbances, maybe even headaches, disrupted sleep cycles or insomnia, lower immunity, so getting sick more frequently, exhaustion, rashes and skin irritations. Staff who feel burnt out, this includes leaders, might also be less likely to feel confident in their teaching or working abilities, which can slowly deteriorate their self-esteem. So they might be more likely to withdraw and isolate rather than participate in socialising with colleagues, getting to the staff room, engaging with others, all of those kinds of things. So 
might sound like it's doom and gloom, but I think it's really important for us to know and recognize the signs because the power is in recognizing when we're tipping over the edge and then putting in place those mechanisms to be able to support ourselves. Or if we're seeing it in our staff, recognizing it in them and then putting in place some support so that we don't end up getting to that point where they feel just so burnt out that it's it's a hard thing to recover from. So what might be some causes of teacher burnout? Well, according to Gallup research, there are five factors that impact staff and teacher burnout the most. uh, And this also includes burnout in other organizations. The first is unfair treatment. So staff who feel like they're being treated unfairly are actually 2.3 times more likely to experience burnout. So unfair treatment can look like favoritism, inconsistent pay or policies, mistreatment by other staff, or even a leader. And this breaks the trust that's crucial for workplace relationships to thrive. So whether or not there is actually unfair treatment present, if our staff are perceiving that or they're perceiving nepotism, that's something that we certainly need to address. And I have seen that in staff surveys before. The next is an unmanageable workload or being overworked. So I'm smiling as I say this because this is such an issue in education and we know that. And staff who feel like their workload is unmanageable, again, are almost 2.2 times more likely to say that they experience burnout often. We know that as teachers and educators, we we wear many hats including mediator, parent, administrator, rule enforcer, sometimes nurse, and even counsellor. Now, these duties don't necessarily fall into the traditional job description of a teacher or educator, but they're natural roles that we're expected to take on, which do, of course, add to our load. Now, this is on top of growing departmental demands that we are experiencing in the workplace more and more what feels like every term, every year. The next cause of teacher burnout is unclear communication. Clear communication in the workplace is really key for effective collaboration. When leaders in particular don't provide staff with the information that they need to do their job effectively, staff might be more likely to become more frustrated and stressed out. So working together as a leadership team to provide that clarity that staff need, make sure that there's unity in our messaging is a really important step here. As well as um, what I'm seeing is staff need to get clear on how they communicate with one another as well. So it's not just putting the messaging out of what's coming up. It's making sure that we're clear on direction of expectations and standards for one another. Uh, It's also in what we expect uh, of each other in terms of professionality and performance as well. Number four causes of teacher burnout are a lack of leader support. And I'm probably going to have to say here a lack of staff support too, but let's go back to the leaders. (laughs) Supportive leaders really do help to buffer the effects of burnout, 
by listening to their staff's needs, first of all, first by asking them, but then listening to what their staff need and helping to find solutions when they're struggling. I feel that when this support is missing, staff are more likely to feel isolated and withdraw, become frustrated, start talking behind the backs or, um, you know, behind the doors of of a Uh, staff meeting or staff room and this can result in lowered engagement and work performance. Now leader support doesn't always mean mental health support although that is great but we can also provide instructional support problem solving to help our people be able to achieve their best in the workplace and if our strength lies in our instructional ability then I think starting there is great. And from here, I think support in terms of engagement is another key factor. So goal setting, coaching and mentoring, the provision of feedback, that is our job as leaders. And if we're not skilled in that, or if for some reason we're being pulled away into the operational that we're unable to provide that, then our staff can become really stressed out, particularly if they need more support. So I'm thinking early career teachers, those who are going through a really hard time or struggling with classroom management, for instance, might need more support from their leader. And the number five reason, according to Gallup Research, for the cause of teacher burnout is unreasonable time pressure or a lack of time. I'm starting to smile again because this is something that we do feel like is an issue in education, particularly now. And I'm thinking as we're struggling with staffing concerns too. So when our staff actually feel like they have time to complete their work, they're 70% less likely to experience burnout. So unreasonable pressure and deadlines can put staff really under extreme stress and create a situation where they never truly feel caught up with work or worse yet, when they can't find a balance between work and their personal life. So really adjusting how we as leaders deliver and expect work is the first part of this puzzle. And that requires us to be organized ourselves. If we're pushing through something last minute because there's too much on our plate and then expecting our staff to get it done, that really in my eyes isn't their problem. If we're delivering work because it comes through, it's departmental, it's been right there, we have to action it, sure. But I know, even from my own experience, that if I'm not on top of my organization and productivity and therefore fall behind and expect more of my staff, it only increases their feelings of stress, which can, of course, lead to burnout. And if this is happening a lot, as you could imagine, a number of our staff would be really struggling. So something here, you know, it's about having rules around, it's not, rules probably isn't the right word, but maybe even parameters around how long you might um, expect a staff member to take to complete a task. Um, Generally about a week is, I think, you know, a minimum. So if you're expecting them to complete a survey or get some paperwork done that's um, last minute, remember that about a week's grace period would be, I think a very considerate amount of time. So it gives staff the ability to focus on their planning, um, have some release time or time after school to be able to complete that. We often forget that we might have a little bit more administration time as leaders. So, you know, asking staff to get something done really quickly might be, um, you know, unachievable. 
Additionally, what we can also do is provide training or professional learning for staff in in terms of their own time management skills and help them to really prioritize tasks and manage their time in a more effective way in order to reduce stress. So this might span from, of course, working out and recognizing what our priorities are, giving our staff permission to uh, recognize the priorities that we also deem as priorities. So, um, you know, really sort of identifying those together, um, working out the best times for us to be able to work most productively in a day. It's different for a lot of people. Some people are better working in the mornings. Others are, are in the afternoons and evenings. So how can we provide flexibility for that based on our chronotypes and when we, when we work most effectively? Uh, other things to consider are our varying working styles. Not everybody is a driver where they get things done straight away. Some people need time to think and plan. So being mindful of the very varied personality and working styles is really important for us to be effective with our use of time. Other possible causes of teacher burnout can include a lack of resources. I mean, we saw the effects of this at the height of the pandemic when teachers were suddenly asked to deliver the curriculum remotely versus in person. Um, many of us didn't really have the resources or know how to do this effectively. And when teachers are left to fend for themselves and tread through unknown waters without good policies and processes, it really adds pressure to their load and takes away from their teaching efficacy, which can damage their self-esteem. And I really can't help but acknowledge here staff shortages. The added stress that's come with teaching through the pandemic has meant that many teachers have given up their high-stress education career in favour of a less stressful one. Schools across Australia are really struggling to find and retain and hire new staff, which means that those who are still standing are taking on more than they should, or we've got enough staff, but we have an increasing number of people who are sick, particularly now as we're in winter um, or coming into winter, sorry. So this might impact our ability to get everything done that we feel that we need to, and this causes long-term ongoing stress for some staff. So all of these things are really important to acknowledge, and they're not you know, as I discuss this, it isn't to draw attention to how bad everything is or how much of a challenge it is. I think it's important to acknowledge these factors because from here then we can actually work proactively to be able to adjust the expectation that we have of ourselves, of our staff and as our school and make adaptions to the way we actually operate. We don't have to keep doing things the way that we always have. Um, we can push back a little bit here and find a new way of working that's most conducive to what we have available to us now, whether that's people, whether it's time, uh, whether it's engaged staff and, and, and those who are feeling healthy and well enough to come in. I think we need to keep pushing forward. So that leads beautifully really into how to support burnout teachers and staff and when we focus on practical ways to prevent and manage teacher burnout, we can see a decrease in things like disruptive behaviour amongst students and a greater stability in the classroom, as well as student motivation and academic commitment. 
This, of course, is alongside the benefits that our staff will experience too if we're focusing on ways to support them. Teachers and staff with lower stress levels and burnout symptoms and then classes and staff equipped with high coping skills has been associated with enriched student outcomes. And at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, we are in this role for our students. We are there to serve them in their learning. Of course, this is alongside providing a fulfilling career for the adults who work in our organisations, but ultimately at the end of the day, we are here for the children and young people. And school leaders, in my opinion, are really responsible for creating a workplace that promotes positive employee experiences. And there are some ways that leaders can contribute to this and doing it in a way that's supportive of staff who are struggling with or at risk of burnout. And I think really a lot of our staff are at risk. So this is really applicable to most people. Providing support to staff experiencing burnout requires more than just the encouragement and promotion of health and well-being. My approach that I support schools with is through the recognition and attention to four key distinct areas. I'm giving all my secrets away today. (laughs) And I've made a visual that actually complements and supports this that you can access via the show notes. So if you've got a hot minute, (laughs) I encourage you uh, to pull that up in the show notes. If you're driving, please don't do that now. You can find this later. Um, But in a nutshell, these four different focus areas are first to build the right conditions for a mentally healthy workplace, two, to foster positive relationships amongst staff and leaders, and to build trust. Three is to provide adequate support options for any of our staff experiencing or at risk of burnout. And four, to encourage and support the development of our staff's own personal resources and coping strategies. So I'll now spend some time really breaking each of those areas down for you and providing those examples. Step one, as I said, focus on focuses on building the right conditions of a mentally healthy workplace. So I recommend starting here before you do anything else. And this process ultimately entails making well-being a part of your school's culture. And you can do this this by embedding a focused approach to staff well-being and culture that is woven into your way of doing. And I think the best way to do this is through adopting positive psychology's PERMA model alongside an inquiry approach, which dives into the source of your main stresses and, and the challenges around well-being. And of course, following and embedding the advice of leading well-being organizations. It's when we look at well-being through a positive psychology perma model perspective, we can see that well-being encompasses six main areas or pillars. So positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, accomplishment, and health. So that really well-rounded approach here. When we attend to each of these areas in our approach, 
our staff are less likely to remain engaged and feel more positive about being in the workplace. Making wellbeing part of your school's culture encompasses everything from encouraging healthy habits, supporting each other's wellbeing, ensuring everybody has access to a healthy work pl- a healthy work life balance and perspective and where we provide support and encouragement for any staff who might be experiencing a mental health challenge or living with a mental health condition. While this all sounds nice, it's also important for us to identify and address the the top workplace stresses of the staff at our school. And the best way to do that that is to conduct a staff wellbeing scan. And that is a review and collection of multiple data sets designed to reveal really valuable information about staff wellbeing and morale in your school. Uh, In my opinion, a well-constructed anonymous staff wellbeing survey that asks the right questions is a great tool to conduct a school scan or kick that process off. Our survey is divided into four key sections, which explores general staff wellbeing, burnout, workplace wellbeing, the top stresses of staff and suggested initiatives, as well as exploring the school's current approach to supporting staff wellbeing and culture. Through this survey, you'll be able to identify those priority areas of need requiring the most attention in your school. As I always talk about, every single school's needs are very, very different and a lot of them actually flow into one another. From here, we need to consider who might be experiencing or be at risk of burnout. So considering as a leadership team, which staff or indeed leaders might be at risk of burnout and requiring additional support can be very helpful. Reflecting about our own burnout and chronic stress impacts as a leader is the first step here because, you know, the saying goes, you've got to put on the oxygen mask first. But then from here, we can reflect on and check in uh, with our staff who might be experiencing a challenge and ensuring that we're asking them about their mental health, whether they're able to access individual strategies and support for their well-being and how we can best support them at work. Additionally, it might actually involve us enrolling our leaders and staff in a mental health first aid course, dependent on how many of those who we think might be struggling and how confident we feel in supporting them and having those conversations about their mental health, uh, being able to listen in a non-judgmental way and be able to proactively step our staff through um, relevant access to support is, is a really great idea. Normalizing mental health and well-being is really important in schools, particularly with those higher rates of staff stress, burnout and mental health beginning to creep their way up, uh, particularly in some schools. This can really help to reduce the stigma associated with mental health and promote and encourage support-seeking environment for our people. I actually dedicated a whole episode to creating a mentally healthy workplace back at episode 19. So I encourage you to go back and take a listen there for more tips. I'm going to move on through now to step two, 
which is once we've created those conditions for a mentally healthy workplace and a well-being focused culture, it's really important for us to focus on fostering positive relationships amongst staff, but particularly between leaders and the staff themselves, because this supports us to build trust, which is so essential. Now, this involves leaders being supported to develop themselves personally and professionally in order to be able to build connections and rapport with their staff, to build trust with their teams and with individual staff themselves. This then helps us to prevent and manage any conflicts that arise. The key here for me is in the prevention. I think if we have those relationships, we're less likely to see those conflicts taking place. And then, of course, this also supports the effective collaboration of teams, which is so essential in education, uh, particularly for the achievement of collective teacher efficacy. In essence, leaders need the right personal and professional attributes to be able to get to know their staff, both personally and professionally themselves, and then work with a wide variety of personalities That is our job as leaders, to adapt the way that we work to different personalities. Um, I think this is best achieved through strong emotional intelligence and those soft skills, so those personal attributes, to be able to work with a wide and broad variety of people. So how we can achieve this is through, well, first, obviously, building relationships and trust ultimately requires us to communicate effectively. When leaders proactively offer up information, communicate with intention and clarity, a good listeners are able to utilize and access emotional intelligence, ask the right questions and invite feedback from staff and, and welcome it our staff are more likely to trust and respect us. Leaders should really keep lines of communication open for questions or concerns to be brought up in a safe, supportive space and then be able to work through problem-solving or solution-finding strategies or support our staff in actually finding those solutions for them at times when they don't have the answers. When staff and teachers are clear on what's expected of them as well, it also leads to less room for confusion and frustration, which again can stop that behind the back talking. And leaders here really should be able to ensure that staff adhere to their basic job descriptions as much as possible. And If more information is needed, then that's communicated clearly along the way where we can make accommodations for and ensure that staff are really set up for success. What this is alluding to basically is having those personal attributes can really support us in effective people management. Now, I think education nowadays is getting better but it doesn't always afford lots of opportunities for us to develop our people management skills. There's plenty of opportunities for instructional leadership, but you know the research is beginning to, sta- to say that in a highly emotive and highly relational profession, we really do need to have those people management skills or those personal attributes. And if your school isn't able to support that development for you, 
you know, like I did, we've got to develop it in our own time um, and or study through a course or a degree. But there's plenty of amazing um, readings and professional development readings that are available online. So um, highly encourage exploring those yourself or if you're a senior leader listening or a leader listening who wants this PL, this is what the Well-Led Schools Partnership is deeply embedded in, those leadership training opportunities in those skills that are required to be able to connect with our people. A tip here, though, is that we can develop our people management skills first through a focus on strength-based feedback and development. So think about this. When teachers are stressed out or burned out, they're more likely to doubt themselves and question their abilities. So taking a punitive approach when performance is slipping or more of a performance management approach, I think can actually make matters worse. Instead, I think that leaders should really begin by highlighting the strengths and providing opportunities to develop areas needing support utilizing their strengths. Um, But also starting with strength-based work helps to rebuild or build from the ground up a sense of security and confidence to uh, get them on track. So I even say with feedback, a great way to build relationships with staff is to start on giving feedbacks based on strength. Once you've built an element of trust, you can then talk about, well, this is my current state as a professional and I've identified my ideal state. And then from there, your staff, in essence, when you're coaching them well, should be um, finding their own goals. But again, if we come back to that strength-based work first, it's a much more of a positive experience to kick off with. It's really important here to develop relationships that we're able to talk and listen to one another Again, I'm taking the lens of leaders, but this is also for any educators who are listening um, and 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 that that ability to be able to connect and build relationships with their staff or members of their teams. But coming back to it, in environments where high stress and burnout is present, it's important that we ensure all staff are checked in with regularly asked about their mental or emotional health and encouraged to seek support or apply individual strategies to support their well-being. This is a lot harder if the relationship isn't there. So opening up the conversation by asking about, again, those factors that can influence our burnout can really support us in identifying where it is that our staff need help. And then that's beginning to build that element of trust, particularly if we're really good at closing the loop of the the provision of feedback and then being able to see at least some action or at least communication to tie it off. Getting to know our people at this level helps us to bring a greater awareness uh, to ourselves of others This helps, of course, to build a sense of empathy and these are qualities of emotional intelligence and they draw our people to us, creating that sense of trust and loyalty, which is the qualities of a highly effective leader. So supporting leaders with opportunities, again, as I said before, to develop their leadership skills and emotional intelligence is key 
and it's why it's an aspect of the Well-Led School Partnership Program and why I work with staff over 12 months to provide a number of professional learning opportunities for them to develop and embed those skills in their professional practice as well as them, as well as provide them with additional readings that they can continue their own self-paced learning with as well. Okay, so step three then requires us to support adequate support options to any staff experiencing burnout or a mental health challenge or high amounts of stress over a prolonged period of time. Many school leaders try this step too early, in my opinion. Long before they've created the right conditions for well-being and often before they've developed any semblance of trust and relationships with their people. While sending out Beyond Blue resources and providing mindfulness or wellbeing workshops are great initiatives and definitely great options, they do fall into a bigger strategy. And if done too early, they can appear disingenuine, tokenistic, and like a tick and flick lip service wellbeing exercise. Once leaders have worked to create those conditions of a mentally healthy workplace and built relationships with their people, they then might consider a variety of support options for their staff, which will be taken up much more positively. So I'm going to actually start from an instructional support perspective because this is easier for a lot of us to do. Um, particularly as we're even still building some of that trust and relationships. So we can adopt initiatives like, as I touched on before, coaching and mentoring opportunities, focusing on that strength work, leadership-led engagement practices are also highly supportive of staff well-being and go hand in hand. So as I said before, coaching and mentoring, goal setting, offering and supporting access to professional development opportunities that are relevant to our staff and what they're looking for. And if you don't know what your staff's goals are, then that's really hard. So I always taught the treated, sorry, the PDP or TDP process at the beginning of the year, not as a piece of paper that I put in my principal's pigeonhole, but as an opportunity to get to know my staff and what it is that they needed and wanted, and then how I could support them as well as buddy them up with support with other staff throughout the year. Another strategy here is around managing workload. We can support our staff to identify all of their tasks and then help them to find the priorities, what they can cut out, where we can give them a bit of, um, you know, I hate the word permission, but I mean it in a way like permission to cut things out. Like if we see that they, they feel like they've got a thousand things to do and we actually talk about it, we say, oh gosh, what you've said, think is a priority or you need to attend to really needs to fall down that list. How about... We just focus on this for now and we can catch up with that later on. And we're much more able to find those priorities when highly stressed staff are. Um, This might include managing their admin tasks, managing their time and productivity through a really supportive lens. Additionally, another key area is supporting staff with student and classroom management if required This is also a wellbeing initiative, particularly with those who need it at any experience level and stage. 
Now, all of these strategies help to make work really meaningful for staff. And a part of the wellbeing puzzle includes finding meaning in the things or the job that we do. So one way we can do this in schools is by actively checking in with our staff, asking them if their work is meaningful and exploring ways to make it more fulfilling to them, again, based on their strengths and interests, um, but on their, if, on their roles and responsibilities and providing clarity in that. We might be able to see if there are any ways to shuffle around tasks or roles so that your people feel like they're doing work that's most suited to them individually. Then from here, uh, after we've tackled some of those more instructional focuses, then we can begin to dabble in more well-being and mental health specific support strategies. And these might be better received if there's a level of workplace supports offered as well, which, as I was saying before and alluding to, really supports uh, us in building those relationships with our people. So that would be encouraging teacher self-care and support options, talking openly about stress, burnout and mental health with staff and in teams providing access to mental health resources and organisations where necessary and appropriate, engaging in mental health first aid conversations with any of our staff that we might be concerned about. This is where we might also have to consider whether we need to offer special accommodations for our staff who are struggling with a mental health concern or might even be struggling to stay at work or um, might need support returning to work after some time off. So providing support to any staff who are struggling with their mental health or living with a mental health condition requires us to provide and promote confidential and easy access to a range of external and internal mental health support. So that might be our employee assistance program, so our EAP, uh, any welfare staff, counsellors, grievance officers, sorry, HR, peer supporters or wellbeing champions. Making reasonable adjustments for staff members who are struggling with burnout or mental health uh, might even include things like part-time working arrangement, return to work options, reducing teaching loads, um, and even things like factoring in a day off a fortnight. This was something at one stage I had to negotiate with work in order to manage my mental health, which my principal and deputy principal, who I love at the time, were so supportive of. And it wasn't long before I was back to work full time again. We can also, particularly as senior leaders, find ways to provide uh, education and, and professional learning opportunities for our leaders and staff on ways to manage mental health and burnout. So first, increasing the leadership team's knowledge about mental health and being aware of the support available is key so that they can then provide that information to their staff. So this might be training on burnout, strategies to manage, recognise and prevent it, and ways to support staff. 
Um, even the creation of personalized stuff or being action plans is a great idea. So Beyond Blue offers heaps of, or BU, sorry, offers heaps of resources on this. Um, but allocating time in school hours to develop these um, would be highly beneficial. And particularly taking special note and keeping track of those who have already recognized that they might need extra support or are at risk of burnout. And I've actually created an online self-paced wellbeing course that steps staff through the process of creating their own wellbeing action plan. You can access this at adrianhornby.com.au forward slash wellbeing hyphen course. And I'll link that in the show notes, but access to that comes part of the Well-Led Schools Partnership Program for all staff, which is awesome. Now, the final piece of the puzzle in my approach Part number four to addressing staff mental health and burnout in schools in in my eyes in the most effective ways a way is ultimately to recognize that a portion of the results we achieve in this space all comes down to our staff's willingness, ability, and capacity to access and use their own personal resources. This includes but is not limited to their own personal abilities and emotional intelligence, their actions, how they problem solve and seek information, their own social resources, which is their ability to seek support, contact, comfort and instrumental aid from others, and their access to their available options. This is their thought patterns, so their ability to prioritize, accept, refocus, be flexible, negotiate, etc. And as leaders, we must really do our best to role model, promote and encourage the development and display of these skills. But ultimately, the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make them drink. And this is true in many cases. And I do hear a level of frustration in schools when working with some leaders. But the mistake I see many leaders make, however, is going straight to personal resources or a lack of access to our own resources and the resilience of staff straight away before they've even considered the other three elements that I've mentioned, like creating those conditions for a mentally healthy workplace, forming solid relationships with our people and offering genuine support to our people. It is really only after those bases are covered and done well that I think it's appropriate to blame, per se, the person on their ability to look after themselves. But it is important to acknowledge that this is required, that this is a joint responsibility when it comes to staff well-being, and I talk about this a lot. In my experience, there are a key group of staff, but not all, as there are some who have really great access and use of their own personal resources, but there are some staff who I do see them being more likely to develop and access these skills when they feel, see, and trust uh, in their workplace and trust that it's looking after their well-being. This is especially true in schools where workplace stresses are the main contributing factors to a staff's mental health concern. For example, when safety is compromised um, and or even their physical and psychological safety. 
So we must address those areas one through three before we focus on four. And more often than not, I've seen that with a focus on one, two, and three, that four begins to come or there's there's at least a level of acceptance from our staff when they go, right, my workplace really is doing all they can for me and it's up to me now. That's why there's a method behind the madness behind my approach in schools. It's like a slow drip um, and to getting to that process of providing that training and developing personal resources until a little bit later on. It's always much better received. Now I'm finishing up today, teacher and staff or being as we know, is really critical to our school success. It does sit at the foundation of all. When staff suffer from burnout and other symptoms related to chronic stress, they're less likely to feel engaged and satisfied within their jobs. This can lead down a slippery slope of decreased morale, productivity and collaboration, which of course affects the school culture as a whole. Before we begin addressing teacher burnout in schools, though, it's important that we take the time to give our staff a voice and express what aspects of their jobs are causing them to feel stressed and what they need in order to perform their best. Our anonymous staff wellbeing survey is designed to facilitate that very process of collecting feedback from staff and it serves as the perfect way to open up communication and create collaborative conditions between leaders and staff. With the data collection from the survey, you'll then be able to identify priority areas of focus and make better and more effective decisions about staff wellbeing moving forward. You can visit adrianhornby.com.au forward slash staff hyphen wellbeing hyphen surveys or for quick access, refer to the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adrianhornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me learn more about my approach and join my mailing list. I'm Adrienne Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.